This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Sharing, I decided I would pick a passage from Isaiah. So it's Isaiah 55, and the context of Isaiah 55 is that it comes in a portion of 40 to 55 where God is offering comfort to his people. He has predicted that they will go into exile uh, in chapter 39. And so in this section, he is offering comfort. Exile will not be the final word for them. And you might know that one of the most uh, famous passages in Isaiah is uh, the servant song in 52-53. So 55, obviously, is after that. So this is God's great invitation, his great invitation in the Old Testament. I mean, we see in these words, we'll look at it more carefully later on. But I think the biggest challenge, the most difficult thing about this passage is not understanding it. I mean, there are a few tricky parts here and there, but the most difficult thing, I think, about this passage is actually believing it. Believing that God himself is issuing this invitation and that this invitation is real. So let's ask God to help us as we hear this invitation. Father, we thank you for what we have heard and been encouraged already in this time. Thank you for your word here and this invitation in Isaiah 55. Please give us years. Please enable us to see the truth here and enable us to believe, we pray, for your glory and for our good. For Jesus' sake. Amen. You can uh, see there's an outline in your bulletin. Invitation, explanation, accomplishment. So we look first at the invitation and and what an invitation it is. Uh, God's great invitation from his own mouth is calling all who are thirsty. Come. Come buy wine and milk. Come, you know, come and purchase bread. Now, we may, you know, look at this and say, oh, you know, Jimmy, go, oh, this is not Thai food, you know, it's, it's bread, I don't really like bread. Um, okay, but that's not the point. The point is that milk, wine, bread, these are things associated with life. You need these things to survive, and God is inviting the thirsty, the hungry to come to enjoy these things for free. He is inviting them to come and have life. But not just, you know, physical life. Obviously, the life here is eternal life. And eternal life is found in being with God. Being reconciled to God. So, in essence, God is inviting people to come and to have Him. So, don't just be you know, looking at the bread and wine and thinking, oh, you know, okay, this is okay, you know, if you enjoy wine, go for it, that sort of thing. But bread and wine stand for life, and true life is found in relationship with God. And so what God is inviting us to here is He's inviting us to be with Himself. He's inviting us to have Him, to come to Him. Now, when we come to verse 3, the language changes from uh, a feast and a banquet to that of covenant. You see that in the middle of verse 3. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. 
my faithful love promised to David. So the language of covenant reminds us that this invitation to have life, to have God, to come to him, is based on the covenant that he has made, based on the promise he has made to David. Uh, You might remember that God promised that David would have a descendant that would rule forever. One from his line that would be the king uh, and would rule and have a forever kingdom. Now, when we studied the you know Bible overview, we learned that you know God made many promises. He made a promise to right the wrongs, to reverse the curse of the fall. And as the Old Testament progressed, we saw that these promises would happen through a king, through the descendant of David. So this invitation to come to him is founded on that prior promise, the promise that he made to David. So when he see, when we see the words in verse 4, See, I've made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations you do not know will come running to you. Now I think who um, God is speaking of here is precisely that descendant of David, that uh, one who will come from David's line through whom these promises would be accomplished, would be fulfilled. And so we see here that rightly the descendant of David is called a ruler and a commander, you know, because he's a king, he will rule. But he's also called a witness to the peoples. Now when you think about David and his legacy, Witness is not something that you would associate with him. Okay, ruler, commander, yes. But witness is the one that's a bit odd. But it is not odd in the context of Isaiah here. Because as Isaiah has been uh, telling about the judgment that will come to Judah because of her sins, Isaiah has also been prophesying that God will extend comfort. God will still be able to give his blessing to his people through a servant, through the suffering servant. And this suffering servant is identified as a witness. This suffering servant is one who will be a light to the Gentiles. Now basically what I'm saying is, Isaiah talks about this suffering servant. And we have the promise made to David that he will have a descendant from his line who will rule forever. What we see here is that this kingly descendant and this suffering servant are one and the same person. And we have seen, as I've mentioned in Isaiah 52-53, that this suffering servant, the reason why he is able to accomplish God's purposes, fulfill God's promises, is because he is the one who is pierced for our transgressions. He is the one who is crushed for our iniquity. We are the ones who, like sheep, have turned away but the blame has fallen on this suffering servant. And so it is precisely in this suffering servant who will be a descendant of David that God's promise to bless will be accomplished. And that is why God can extend this invitation to come, to come and have life, to come and to have him. So this is the invitation. And in verse 6, we see, uh, the explanation, God explaining, uh, Isaiah explaining what it means to come. How do we 
accept this invitation? How do we come to God? Well, verse 6 tells us, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. So how does one accept this invitation? This invitation to come to God, to have him, we accept this invitation by seeking him. By seeking him and also by turning away from our wicked ways. Now I don't know whether you understand this. I don't know whether you you get the enormity of this. But you see, this invitation is not just to the people who have kept their shoes clean. This invitation is not just for the people who have lived that decent life and, you know, in, in, by all accounts are respectable and, you know, are, 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 are blameless to some degree. And okay, you know, you who have a clean underwear, you who don't have any skeletons in the closet, okay, okay, you can come. No, 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 no. This invitation is not just for those people, if, if there are even uh, these people who exist. This invitation is for anyone. Anyone who is willing to turn from their wicked ways. You see, you may have turned away from God. You may have gone on this downward spiral where now your life is a million miles from where as a young person you imagined it would be. And you may feel a million miles from God because of the choices you have made, because of the lifestyle that you have indulged in. I mean, you may feel that this invitation no longer applies to you. But no, this is not what the scripture is saying. It is for anyone. Anyone who is willing to turn away from their wicked ways. Seek God. And this invitation is still good. Now you may be one who has experienced great trials in life. And because of those trials, you may have nurtured a bitterness for God. And anger for God. And you may think that, okay, okay, all these years of being angry with God, of, of, you know, running away from Him, you may think that, okay, okay, you know, there's no way back. You may think that there's no way back. But that's why I say, you see, the, the, the hardest part about this passage is believing that this invitation is still good. You can come back to God. You can go to Him. This invitation is still good for you. All you have to do is to seek Him. All you have to do is turn. Of course, you must, you know, repent. Turn away from, you must no longer head in that wrong direction. Of course, you must turn to Him to return to Him. But my point is, it is still good. You may be a million miles. But this invitation is still good for you. I wonder whether you, 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 you feel, whether you can appreciate the grandeur of this. See, and the reason why we have to forsake our wicked ways, verse 8 tells us, uh, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. You see, 
what you're thinking and the way that you're living is, is, is so far from me. That's why if you want to come back to me, you have to forsake that. But the point is, no matter how far away we are, we can come back. The way back is never closed. So this is the explanation for what it means to turn back to God. And you may think, hey, okay, isn't this Mission Sunday? Alright, so why is, uh, why am I going on about calling you to, you know, turn back, telling you that you can come back to God? Shouldn't I be trying to motivate you to missions? But don't you see, this is precisely the point. It is only those people who have experienced personally themselves the grace of God, the goodness of this invitation, that this invitation is good, that we would be motivated to tell others, hey, no matter how far away you are, you can come back. I was, I was further than you. I was worse off than you. And I turned back. And the invitation is good. God means it. We can have life. We can actually have Him. Only those of us who have accepted this invitation for ourselves would be willing to make sacrifices and would be willing to use our resources and time and energy to see other people hear and accept this invitation for themselves. Only those who know that this invitation is good would do that. So, invitation, explanation, and now we hear how God accomplishes it. We see in verse 10 these famous words, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Right. Familiar words, but don't you see, those of us who teach the Bible, missionaries who go out into the field bringing their young families and, you know, they, they have no strategy, you know, they don't know what will work, but at the heart of it all, every faithful missionary preaches the word. Why, at least every faithful missionary that believes what is written here in Isaiah 55, 10 and 11 will preach the word. Because what is it clearly saying? That it is God's word that will accomplish His purpose. Not our strategies, not our, our, our programs. It is His word. You see, in verse 5, talking about the descendant of David, nations that you do not know, nations that are not even in existence, you know, when Isaiah was writing this, nations will come flocking, tribal groups who live on the mountains, people who have grown up all their lives entrenched in uh, Buddhism or Islam, these people will come. How will they come? It will be because God's word that goes out from his mouth will not return to him empty. God's word is not impotent. 
God's word is not just, you know, a good idea. But Isaiah is telling us here that his word, that he sends forth, that he speaks, is powerful. It will accomplish what he purposes. So yes, you, we look at that and we see, wow, hundreds and hundreds of years. And there are more Christians in North Korea than in Thailand. Countries so open, you know, there's, they give up, you know, at times visas to missionaries. And, and, you know, it, it, there's still so many parts of it that are unreached. And we think that, you know, how, how possible is this task? Well, it, it, God's word is what will accomplish. His word that goes forth will achieve its purpose. It will not, it will not return to him void. And the question is, do we believe that? Are we willing to be available to follow where God will bring us and faithfully just proclaim this word, trusting that his word is powerful and it will not return to him empty? And this word that is powerful, look at what verse 12 and 13 tells us it will accomplish. All creation will rejoice. Instead of thorns, there will be, uh, you know, uh, juniper and the myrtle will grow. I mean, this is a picture of the, the thorns stand for the fallen world, the world that is fallen and sinful. And so God is saying by his powerful word, this fall, this fallen world will be reversed. He will make all things new. I mean, I get my news from, you know, BBC, the app. And, you know, every time I turn to it, it's always bad news. I mean, of shootings, of trafficking, of unspeakable things done to children. I mean, there's always bad news. And sometimes you think, I mean, what, what is this world gone to? And, and, and how will any of this be made right? But God is telling us here, this invitation that he is issuing to everyone. By his powerful word, people will come to him. By his powerful word, the nations will come to him. By his powerful word, this whole world that has fallen will be made new. And you and I, we get a chance now to be working and in partnership with God to see some of that happened in our lifetime. To see God's kingdom advance and grow as people hear this invitation, as they are, you know, compelled by His powerful word to forsake their ways, their wicked ways, and to turn and return to God. We get the opportunity to issue this invitation and see God at work as He is at work ultimately to reverse the curse of this fallen world and to bring in a new creation where everything will be made new. I've told this story before, this true story, but I will end by uh, you know, saying it again. And you know, it is about uh, North Korea. It's about three generations of Christians in North Korea. The first generation... Obviously heard it when, uh, you know, North Korea was an open country and missionaries could come to uh, North Korea and Pyongyang was known as the Jerusalem of the East. 
So the first generation heard the gospel there. But then as uh, Christianity became outlawed, the way that they taught about the faith to the next generation, because I mean, you, could, you couldn't have the Bible. If you're caught with the Bible, you'd be sent to the labor camp. So how the first generation communicated the faith to the next generation was by, you know, when it's quiet, you know, the neighbors are not around, you know, quietly telling them stories. Stories about Adam and Eve, how God created the world, stories about Noah and the flood and of Abraham and, and of Jesus, telling them stories this way. And so in time, the second generation also, you know, tried to pass on the faith to the third generation. But then there came a time when the second and third generation, okay, so I mean, the adults and the kids, second generation, third generation, decided that they should leave North Korea. And so they gathered their things, they made the plan, and they began the arduous journey of trying to get to the, the border of China and try to get across. Of course, they didn't know how <coughs> they would do it, <coughs> but they heard stories, and they trusted God, and they tried. <coughs> Excuse me. And so the... The mother, who is the one speaking in the story, tells of how, you know, they encountered, you know, challenge after challenge, but God either, you know, uh, provided a way of escape or this and that. You know, the guards turned at the right time and they were able to, you know, sneak through. And somehow, okay, they got across the border and into China. And from China, got into South Korea. And once you get into South Korea as a refugee, you get given money, lah. To, to you know, try and survive and all that. So what they did with some of that money was to pay for now the very elderly first generation to be smuggled out. Now the way you leave North Korea as uh, you know defector is either the hard way, which is what the second and third generation did. You know, if you have very little money, you do it that way. But now with the South Korean government money, they could pay for the first generation who are now elderly to be smuggled out first class. And first class means the car will come, take you to the border, and once you reach the border, the smugglers will, I mean, cross the river, I mean, don't expect the ATOs to cross the river, and so, so they will pay the guards to turn away, and they will piggyback the, 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 the two elderly into China, and then from China, you take a plane to South Korea. So that's first class, okay, once you have money. So the plan was a hedge, they paid the, they paid the people, but then the first generation never made it to China. Somehow, when the second and third generation without money, you know, they just depended on God, they managed to get through. But now with the people who knew how to and the money to bribe the guards, they did not make it through. They got caught and they got sent to a labor camp. And what the second generation, the mother, reflected on was this. She said, somewhere in that labor camp, there are people who are now hearing the stories of Adam and Eve and of Noah and of Abraham and now what God has done in His Son, Jesus. You see, because this invitation is real. Because God cares that this invitation be heard by people. He will even send His two elderly saints who can't even walk straight. Send them at that age into those labor camps so that even in those camps there would be people who would hear. 
The hardest thing about this passage is not understanding it, but believing it. If you are someone who is far away, do you believe that this invitation is still for you? You are not too far away. And if you are someone who has accepted this invitation, oh, please be reminded how good it is. Please be reminded that we get to share this invitation with others. We get to pour our lives into this that will last forever. We get to tell others, you can come to God. The way is open. May God help us to be faithful. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.